This is Indie Business Podcast, episode 51. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Indie Business Podcast. I'm your host, mentor, and coach, Donna Maria, the founder and CEO at IndieBusinessNetwork.com and the lead trainer at Indie Business University. My goal is to help you build a solid business foundation, increase your income, and use your business to create the life you love. On this episode, I will introduce you to Mike Newstrom of Prairie Lavender Farm and of the United States Lavender Growers Association. Mike's lavender business is an outgrowth of a promise he made to his wife to settle wherever she wanted to settle after he ended his distinguished 20-year military career. They ended up in her hometown, and Mike needed something to do. And the next thing you know, guess what? He's a lavender farmer. I love that story. (laughs) Over the years, Mike saw a need to support and promote lavender as an official crop in the U.S and to connect lavender lovers in a more formal way. Along with his colleagues, he started the U.S. Lavender Growers Association, and today he serves as its president. You'll love hearing a little about how lavender is grown and harvested in this country and how you can become involved as a grower, producer, or just a lover of lavender. You'll also hear how you can meet Mike and me at their upcoming conference in Mesa, Arizona, well, I'll be speaking on the topic of effective marketing strategies in an age of too much technology. I know we can all relate to that, right? <laughs> you can get a summary for this episode at IndieBusinessNetwork.com forward slash 51. I can't wait to introduce you to Mike Newstrom of Prairie Lavender Farm and the U.S. Lavender Growers Association. But first, this podcast is brought to you by the Indie Business Network, the online entrepreneurial mentoring and coaching network helping makers and creative entrepreneurs launch, manage, and grow a sustainable and profitable business. You can find out more today and join at IndieBusinessNetwork.com. And now, let's welcome Mike Newstrom of Prairie Lavender Farm in Bennington, Kansas, and of the U.S. Lavender Growers Association. Mike Newstrom from Prairie Lavender Farm in Kansas. How are you today? I am fine. Good morning, Donna Marie. I'm so excited to talk with you, and I have known of you for such a long time and watched all the wonderful things that you're doing at your business there at Prairie Lavender Farm, and I just knew that I wanted to tell everybody that I possibly could about all the great things you're doing. And so let's just get started by, let me just ask you this, like, when I told people that I was going to be meeting you in a few weeks at your uh, Lavender Growers Conference, which we're going to talk about in a second, so many of them were like, oh my gosh, lavender, it smells so good, I have to go. So let me just ask (laughs) you to start, like, does it always smell good no matter where you are? I imagine it must smell like heaven in your business. Actually, no, it doesn't. Uh, lavender being an herb is inert, and it's re- you really don't smell it until it's been activated, whether you brush the plant or squeeze the buds or whatnot. Uh, so if you go up my, my drying loft where we dry the lavender bundles, it's uh, it almost smells like a hayloft. Until you start uh, handling the lavender, you don't really smell it. And that's true with the buds. Uh, once you start handling them, then uh, a very strong aroma is released. Well, that is very so, yeah, interesting. It's, it's, 
I don't smell it outside unless the wind's blowing or someone's walking through the fields and brushing plants or something. So when it when we're harvesting, they can smell it for miles downwind, but uh, otherwise, no, it's not very strong. Well, that's really interesting information. I didn't know that. I just figured wherever lavender is, it's pleasant, and uh, we all feel good and want to take a nap. But anyway. <laughs> Well, usually when you smell lavender, you've picked the stem and you yeah. bring it up to your nose. And that action is what helps release those aromas. Excellent. Wow. What fun. So let's back up for a bit to the sure. days before the Prairie Lavender Farm. Mike, tell us a little bit about your career before your farm. Oh, uh, I'll start with my first one. Uh, I spent 21 years in the Navy and... Uh, I retired in 1988 and moved back to Kansas because... The deal I made with my wife was the first 20 years she'd follow me, the next 20 I'd follow her. And so when I retired, I said, well, where are we going? She said, Salina, Kansas, because that's where she was born and raised. And I can pretty much be happy anywhere I am. So that, that was fine with me. And we moved back here. And then I, uh, I took a job as a director of a rehab agency for people with developmental disabilities. And I, I worked there. And it was actually a a not-for-profit, but it was uh, aligned with the state. And so I ended up uh, retiring uh, with a state retirement uh, from the state of Kansas as well. And that was in 2002, and I was still only 52 years old, and I needed something to do. Uh, and so I thought, well, um, actually, I was doing some uh, – construction work on the side. I was a, a cabinet maker. And so uh, I was doing work in Texas and Colorado and Iowa. And my wife said, find something to do closer to home. So I kind of backed into lavender more by accident than design. Um, and I blame a woman by the name of Sharon Shipley. She had written a book called The Lavender Cookbook. And Sharon was a, a good information. Uh, was a good uh, friend of my sister and uh, they had been taking uh, tours over to Italy and France uh, 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 cooking tours. They would take, it would take, take them where they would actually be cooking in these best restaurant kitchens around Europe. And uh, Sharon had a culinary Institute out in California. And <clears throat> I met her down at my sister's when she was living in Austin. And uh, she says, well, why don't you just take the weekend off and go with us? And I said, to where? And it turned out it was the first Southwest Lavender Conference. And she was supposed to be a speaker there to speak about culinary. And so I met lavender growers from across the country. There weren't a whole lot of us back then. And I thought, well, how hard can this be? I'm going to go home and do this. Uh, nobody explained <laughs> to the city kid that farming is actually pretty hard work. <laughs> and I didn't realize what I got myself into. And so I, uh, I kept going down to Texas and bringing back uh, more plants. And uh, before I knew it, I had uh, a couple of thousand plants in the ground. And then I had to figure out what I was going to do with it. <laughs> but that's, that was my background coming into the lavender. What a fun story. I love so many lessons in there. I love the deal you and your wife made with each other, 20, 20 following one, 20 following the other. Um, and, and of course, starting a business is like how many of us have that story of it. it how hard could it be, right? Let's just, let's just get started. <laughs> well, you know, 
uh, I have certainly found it true in this field is you don't know the right <laughs> questions to ask. Right, right, right. So often we just don't. But um, I, I love what you've done. I've seen awesome photographs of the things that you have there at your website. So, so you've been doing this for a, a long enough time now to sort of see some of the trends in farming in this mm -hmm. country. What, what have you noticed? I mean, I, I think I see way more lavender farms on, on, you know, on the internet than I, in America than I did 10 years ago. So that's definitely growing. What sort of trends have you noticed and how does lavender to the overall uh, production that's happening in our country right now? Well, uh, it, there has been a phenomenal growth in the, in the lavender farms, or at least the numbers. Uh, 20 years ago, there were very and uh, so it's been real interesting to watch this growth. And I think a lot of it, uh, what brought the trend about was people want to live more healthy. And that was the, uh, the, the genesis for a lot of the farmers markets and uh, uh, eating more local foods. And uh, anyway, that's, that's kind of uh, bled over into uh, looking for alternative medicines. And uh, uh, I think that uh, it's been real beneficial for, for my, uh, my business, that's for sure. So, so it's, it's really great to hear and to know that farming in America is growing um, in so many ways. And, and it's fun to know that uh, lavender is one of those ways because it's one of my favorite <coughs> herbs. So, um, and the fact that you can cook with it just makes it... Um, cook with it easily just makes it even so much more fun. So, um, you know, how do you organize things at your business? Like, do you, you have people to help you pick the crops and then you, you harvest uh, them yes. and make the products? What, what, what generally do you do to, to run Prairie Lavender Farm smoothly? Well, uh, just starting out, it was just me. And, uh, um, I, I was able to do that for the first couple of years. Uh, no one explained to me that it takes about three years for the plants to get mature enough before you get one bundle off the plant. And uh, I, I could handle it that. But by year five, I was getting 10 to 12 bundles off that plant. So my workload had, had more than doubled. And obviously, it was 10 times as much. And then by year eight, I was getting between 15 and 20 bundles off that plant. So as we finish one variety, then the next one is already ready. And so we start on that. And once we finish that, then it's time to actually start over. We start doing our second cutting. And typically I'll get two cuttings off of all the varieties and three off the early bloomers like English lavender. Well, this year it was pretty phenomenal. We got six cuttings off of all the plants. Wow. So I was just overwhelmed. Mike, you are also the president of the U.S. Lavender Growers Association, right? Tell us about that organization. Well, uh, we were coming up on our fifth anniversary this, this April, and I was one of uh, a couple of dozen that started the organizing committee back in 2011, and that was an outgrowth of um, a number of us that got together in Kerrville, Texas, at, uh, again, a Southwest Lavender Conference, and we were bemoaning the fact that there was no national voice for our industry. And uh, so we decided to start uh, a nonprofit uh, uh, to address that. And so uh, starting from that, oh, about 24, 25 people, uh, 
we started working in, I think, June of 2011. And we met by conference call every two weeks until we were finally able to launch on April uh, 27th. And we had our launch actually that, to coincide with the International Lebanon Conference up at SQUIM. So that was pretty exciting. And I was the uh, initial treasurer uh, for the first couple of years. And then I had to step down from the board for a short period of time. And then I was reelected back. When I came back, uh, I, I took Mary Bergstrom's place, who was our uh, founding president. And uh, she retired from the board and still active on a, a number of the committees. But uh, I've been the president for the last two years, and I, I plan on running for re-election uh, next month. And Mike, what are the main purposes of the organization? Well, uh, boy, I, I didn't rehearse my uh, my vision statement or the mission statement. But basically, what we're uh, uh, wanting to do is have a voice uh, for lavender in the United States. Uh, right now, the USDA does not recognize us other than as a cut flower or an herb. They do not recognize it as a crop. So uh, one of the things we wanted to work on was uh, developing um, not only uh, uh, membership numbers to uh, lobby for that, but to also work with USDA to develop uh, standards for it because there are no standards for uh, lavender essential oil or essential oils right now in the United States that I'm aware of. Uh, maybe there is in the mint in industry, I'm not sure, but I know there is not for lavender. And so <clears throat> USDA is not going to recognize this because we're too small of a community as far as ag goes. Um, uh, we're not going to compete with the soybeans or the corn or uh, wheat farmers uh, as far as sheer volume. But um, we can develop research uh, working with uh, state universities um, to help inform the USDA. And basically what we would like to do is develop our own standards for our industry and using the scientific methods to ensure that we've got accurate information. And basically once we have that package all assembled, we'll just hand it to the USDA and say, this is the way we would like to be governed as an industry. <clears throat> and uh, it's it's been working in that regard. But the, the main part of our association is to provide support to our members. Because mm -hmm. uh, there is so much information on the internet right now that is just not true. They can be just die. Um, that can be complete opposites of what's uh, true. And so people are just don't know what to believe. And so what we want to do is make sure that we've got the most accurate information regarding lavender uh, for our members. And we don't just keep it for members. We also have it on our, our website. And we just launched our new uh, website, uh, I guess, Wednesday. Uh, and it's up and running now. And we've a, a, a while for them to transfer all the information over from our old website. And this one is much more robust and able to do a lot more. And we had grown so much from that 24, 25 people. We are now at 349 members, member farms. And uh, so it's it's been phenomenal growth in the period of time that we're talking about. That's great, um, Mike. What's the website address so people can go check it out? 
uslab.org. And, and what are the requirements of membership? Well, we have a couple of different categories, and uh, uh, we have a, a category called grower member, and that's those that actually uh, are making a living or attempting to make a living by uh, either growing or using lavender in their business. And uh, we just added a new category that's going to be effective at the end of this month called Friends of Lavender. And it's basically, there's a lot of people that have a, a real avid interest in lavender, but they're not interested in having a farm or making products or anything else. They just love lavender. And uh, we have a lot of fans that follow our festivals and whatnot. And so we have a calendar of events so people can see where the uh, lavender festival are, festivals are around them, as well as all of our member farms. And so they can go on our website and look at our members map and see, and they can uh, check the the calendar as well to see what's coming up in their location. And you have a conference coming up in a bit, but and we're going to talk about that. But first, I want to ask you: Do you have at Prairie Lavender Farm an annual uh, event? Yes, we we have our uh, our harvest festival, and it's always the third Saturday in June. So this this year it'll be June seventeenth. And we go from like nine to four, and it's only a one-day event. I would like to do it longer because we have people come from six states, and that's a long way to travel uh, just for one day. Uh, but my wife said she divorced me, and the staff said they would quit if we, we went more than one day because mm -hmm. it is an exhausting day for us. Yeah, yeah. But we well, have I mean, it's tours. worth it, though, with, for people to travel there. There are a growing number of these festivals, but there still yes. aren't a whole lot of them. So it's it's worth the trip. Well, um, I would like to think that uh, <laughs> it was worth their time and travel. To, well, judging to from the pictures at your website, which I have panted over every year <laughs> for years, as you know, um, it's a wonderful thing. So tell us about the Lavender Growers Association Conference that's coming up later this month. Okay, uh, that's the, uh, the 26th through the 28th uh, in Mesa, Arizona. And <clears throat> we do have a pre-conference which starts on the 26th. And that's uh, their day-long sessions for, uh, especially for brand new uh, lavender uh, growers, uh, for them to learn as much as they can about what they, they are, have gotten themselves into or they plan to get themselves into. Mm -hmm. yes, part, of, uh, part of our whole goal with the association was to share information. In most industries, uh, the competition is so fierce that uh, people view each other as competitors and not as partners. And that's not how we approach things at all. What we want to do is share as much information about our, our businesses as we can and I will share information with anybody, with the exception of my pr proprietary formulas that it took me so long to develop. But other than that, anything is fair game. And I've mentored probably uh, nine or ten different uh, farms in the Midwest uh, and get, helping them get up and running. Uh, but the, the conference, uh, at that point on Friday and Saturday, the 27th and 28th, uh, we have three different tracks, and it's basically for those that are brand new to lavender, those that have been in it for a year or two, and then those that have been at it a long time like me. Mm -hmm. uh, I've been at it for, uh, this will be our 16th year. Mm -hmm. And so our needs are a lot different. Uh, uh, so 
rather than overwhelm a brand new uh, grower with some of the high level stuff, and, and we're talking about the business end of it, mm -hmm. uh, then we let them concentrate on what's going to be important to them in getting up and going. And I would venture to say that our membership looks pretty much like you and me uh, in that uh, our age group is they're usually older people. Mm -hmm. I have not met anyone yet that said, I want to be a lavender farmer when I grow up. Mm -hmm. So we don't have very many uh, young people in the field right now. Mm -hmm. And that may change as some of us that are older and trying to figure out an exit strategy, uh, either sell or uh, have family members that are interested. And I, I had hoped that, that the latter would be the case for me because I'm, I'm pushing 68 and I asked both of my daughters who are in their uh, 40s uh, if they were interested. Uh, one moved to Seattle and one moved to Minneapolis. So that was a, a big nonverbal. <laughs> That's how you answer your dad, right? You just moved yeah. to another state. Oh, my yeah, goodness. They're, uh, uh, they grew up with an old command chief, so right. I, I, that's their way of communicating <laughs> with me. Oh, wow. Well, you know, I, I, I think that your premonition or your hope, I think it will come to pass because I see more and more younger people <laughs> who are interested in doing work that they find much more personally meaningful than they would otherwise find in what we would call a traditional workforce. Yes. Um, I see it happening a lot. So, you know, and, and it sounds to me like your organization is doing a lot to make that happen, even though you're not like on the front line saying, you know, young people come over here. But I think the work that you're doing is laying the foundation for that so that, you know, if when when they do turn in that direction, they see financial opportunity, they see fun, they see a community around these farms. And I think mm -hmm. that's, that's a brilliant strategy and, and approaching the F, the USDA with the business side of things to have it recognized as a crop. I mean, it seems to me that once that's done, you're going to have much more of a groundswell of people that are interested. Well, and, and that, that has been a hindrance in us being addressed from a crop standpoint, because I can't take my crop to the local grain elevator. Right. Uh, so I, I've got to figure out how I'm going to get my crop off the farm uh, because I'm going to have another one in about five or six weeks. So uh, I need to be turning over my crop. It's not like uh, the, the wheat farmers that harvest once in uh, early June around here, and then that's it for the year. Uh, they're not going to see another um, harvest, at least with that crop. So, uh, and they've got a place that they can just take right down the road. Uh, now, some of my neighbors have, have accused me of growing lavender, so they couldn't tell me I was doing it wrong. And that might be true, because uh, uh, farming lavender is very counterintuitive to most uh, traditional farming methods. And so, <laughs> it's, it's been interesting, because I have to turn my crop into something that I can sell myself, because we don't have lavender oil or lavender bud uh, wholesale outlets that we can sell to uh, kind of like a, a tobacco bro broker or something of that nature. We don't have that yet. Well, Mike, now, are, there, well, are I, there local restaurants and, and maybe body care manufacturing companies and, um, you know, organizations like that that are interested in purchasing it? 
Well, there are, but uh, there again, you have to be growing on such a scale uh, to deal with some of these uh, cosmetics manufacturers or whatnot. And so another part of uh, purpose for the United States Lab Grower Association was to capture some of those sales mm-hmm. that were going overseas. Mm-hmm. And, you know, people usually think of France uh, as where lavender oil comes from. Actually, uh, France is pretty far down the food chain. Uh, it's probably Bulgaria first, then China, then New Zealand. And typically countries you wouldn't associate with it, but they are far more uh, prodigious in their oil production. And now India is really getting into it as well. Mm-hmm. So it, it's not that we want to sell our, our products or our oil or buds overseas. We just want to capture those sales that are currently going overseas. Well, and maybe and, that's that's an angle, obviously, there. I think it, it sounds like something we're hearing about in the news a lot lately, um, just the international competitive reasons to yeah. classify mm-hmm. it differently. Yeah. Wow, that's exciting, Mike. I'm really, really excited for the work that you're doing, for the progress that you're making, and honestly, personally speaking, um, the work that you personally are doing Um to, to drive things forward. It sounds like you're very committed to this and that's such an, an honorable thing to watch. So remind us well, again. Before, yes. Remind us again. And thank you for your service too. I, I remember you said that oh. you had served in the military for uh, 20 years. That's, um, that's obviously to be recognized as well. Uh, Mike, Mike, tell us once again, where do we go to register for this conference and to join this organization? Well, the uh, the conference registration, and I'm, I'm not sure people can get in now because uh, we were hoping for 200 people, and I think we're at 269 right now. I maybe noticed that, yeah. And uh, but it's it's uh, located on our website at uslavender.org, and there is a tab for the conference, and and people can take a look at that and see. Uh, well, they'll see a picture of you as one of the speakers uh, in one of the sessions. And, and I, I am excited about getting to introduce you for that, that session, too. Well, I'm but, excited uh, as well. There's a, there's a calendar of, of the, the, uh, the sessions, and so people can see exactly what, what's going to be offered there for uh, all three days. And we do have our annual members meeting uh, on Saturday morning, the 28th. And that's for, uh, uh, we have an annual requirement to have a, a members meeting. And when we have our conference, which is every two years, we, we always try and do it at the conference site. So we get as many people to attend as we can. And so, uh, did I answer your question? You did. We're going to go to okay. uslavender.org. And I see the website here. It's, it's lovely, easy to navigate. Click on conference. You can see it right there at the top there. There's also a how to join link that gives you your options and things. And uh, Mike, do you have like a newsletter that people can sign up for in case they can't make it this year? Yes, there's a a link for uh, getting on our newsletter uh, list. And uh, actually, our newsletter is going to be coming out just right after the conference. And it comes out quarterly. Now, bear in mind, we have no paid staff. This is all volunteer run. And so... um, Uh, getting the newsletter staff uh, or the committee to pull together articles and and whatnot has been a challenge to just get done quarterly. Uh, We would love to do it every month. It's just not possible right now. 
And that, and that's fine. Like if we can get a quarterly newsletter, then we have no excuse for missing next year's conference, right? There you go. That's true. <laughs> or you can go on Facebook to our uh, United States Lavender Growers Association uh, fan page. Right. And um, if, if they choose to join the organization, we also have a, a member's Facebook page. And then uh, we have um, now broken up into 15 regions. And each region has their own Facebook group as well. And that's just so we can have more regional events. Because there's a lot of people who can't travel all the way across the country for a national conference. But they can go uh, maybe to the next state over to have a, a, a session. Excellent. And so we try and do two sessions a year in each of the regions. And that's just, uh, we're just in our first year of that. So that's going to be uh, growing a lot more. Well, thank you for all this wonderful information. And also I want to remind everyone to check out prairielavenderfarm.com. If you're in the Kansas area or any of the surrounding six states, make sure you check that out for the festival that's coming up in June. And of course, uslavender.org. If you're going, I am so excited. I will see you there. And Mike, it's going to be such a joy to get a chance to meet you in person after all these years. Thank you so much for joining us here on the Indie Business Podcast today. You're welcome, Donna Marie. Have a good one. Bye-bye now. Bye now. Well, I hope you enjoyed my interview with Mike Newstrom of Prairie Lavender Farm and the United States Lavender Growers Association. Let's unpack some of the interesting things he shared in this episode. I love how he started his business, you know, kind of thinking, how hard could it be? That sounds so familiar to me and to so many of my clients and members. And, you know, I have even more respect now for people who want to farm in this country in non-traditional ways. I had no idea that lavender wasn't considered a quote-unquote crop. With lavender, Mike and his colleagues do not have the same benefits as farmers who grow and sell wheat and other more traditional products. I know you, along with me, wish Mike all the best as he works to advocate that our government should treat lavender as a crop. You can subscribe to Indie Business Podcast on iTunes and Stitcher, and you can also listen at my website at IndieBusinessNetwork.com. And if you're listening on iTunes, won't you do me the honor of rating this podcast? It helps me so much to know that you appreciate the amazing people and stories featured here. This is one of the chief ways I fulfill my own personal mission to help people maximize their success through small business ownership. As more and more people tune into the Indie Business Podcast, more lives will be changed through entrepreneurship. You can also share episodes from my blog at IndieBusinessNetwork.com to your favorite social media outlets. I'll see you on the next episode of the Indie Business Podcast. In the meantime, break all the rules, build your own corporate ladder, and create the life you love.